0: Again. And if you haven't been born again, you're not a Christian. So saying born again Christians i like saying, are uh, there ain't any Christian Christians here? But nonetheless, I understand society's way of saying things. But what do, you, what do you want to know? Are there any here? And they were telling me they felt kind of ashamed because they didn't read Nobody. And he said, you know, personally, I'm an atheist, but I just wanted to see if there are some people. was looking to deride or, or or attack anything. I don't know what was in his mind why he asked that. Maybe he knew some subject matter later on would bring up some good conversation. I don't know. But it was interesting. Nobody raised their hand. And it was interesting the person I talked to felt like they should have raised their hand. Because they say, you know, I believe. And we've all been in uncomfortable situations before. We know that Many times the, the people that are around us, their view of Christianity is very critical, cynical, sarcastic. So we know that when we raise our hand, it's going to come, right? But that's okay. That's all right. But it did make me stop and think of two questions. Question number one, what do I believe? Now, as you're hearing that question, that's not what does Sheridan believe. No, you're asking <laughs> yourself, Okay. What do I believe? How many times have we been caught up living our lives thinking what I ought to believe? Right? And we think, okay, I know I ought to believe that. But the very fact we're saying that means we don't believe. We're not there. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying I ought to believe something as as What's your plan to get there? that you want to believe it so you will get there. I'll read, I'll I'll talk, I'll ask questions, whatever. But to live our life knowing I ought to believe something but not really believe in it, what happens? It means you're not gonna raise your hand when someone says, are there any Christians here? It means you're gonna play it safe. It means you're gonna hedge your bets. It means you're gonna live a life thinking one thing but actually being something entirely different. What do I believe? Not what should I Right now, what do I believe? Now, that leads us to our second question. The most important. Well, maybe not. I think both of them are (laughs) equally important. Because if you don't start off with what I believe, then the second question is going to be irrelevant to us as well. Uh, Matthew 16. Let's look at it. It's an interesting thing. Jesus over and over again in his ministry would encourage, challenge, cultivate belief. Oftentimes when we read these passages, you know, he'd say, do you believe in me? And we think we automatically go to intellectual ascent. That ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about that when push comes to shove, at the very deepest core of our being, this is what I believe. And so he would talk. And he would encourage and he would teach and he would rebuke. But the whole time is to get people to believe in and of themselves. Not believe because mom and dad, not believe because it's culturally acceptable, not believe to earn favor or to avoid problems. But this is what I believe. And so he would talk on and on about this. But it wasn't just belief in anything. Look in Matthew 16. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That's not the question. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now why don't you stop there and think for a second. This is the path that a lot of people try toward belief. People that would put themselves in the category of being a believer. Here's what they do. They think, what do my parents believe? What is my culture believe? What's being said about me that I can, you know, pretty palatable and things like that. That's what I will kind of, you know, take and make my own. So Jesus said, guys, what are people saying about me? Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. These are amazingly complimentary descriptions. But he doesn't stop there. Here comes the question. Verse 15. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. Jesus replied. Blessed are you Simon. Son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man. But by my father in heaven. That is the question that needs to follow. What do I believe? If we're going to claim to be a believer of Jesus Christ, we believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we say we believe that, if that's what I believe, then I believe that through him all things were created, as Colossians 1 says. I believe he has supremacy over all things. I believe that he is Lord of all. In Luke 6.46, he's going to ask the rhetorical question. He's going to say to his followers, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Apparently, you know what was happening? People were knowing what they ought to believe. They weren't believing. Because if you really believe that he's the Christ of some living God, there will be no doubt looking at your life. There will be no doubt. It's not like we're a camouflage group, you know. I just want to fit in. I don't want anyone to say anything bad to me. If he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you know what? He is Lord, and what he says goes.
1: And what I am
0: interested in is what is his will. I believe Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Do you know how I'm going to look at that passage that Nick referred to in Matthew 26? I'm going to look at that as the pattern of my life. Mm. Not my will, your will be done. If he is a Christ, that's the way I look at that. If I really believe that, yeah. It's not my will, it's God's will. Be done. I look throughout life when I think about my marriage. What's God's will in my marriage? When I think about my parenting, what's God's will in my parenting? When I think about work, what is God's will? will of my work. When I think about the direction of my life, my values, my priorities, the thing that I'm interested in, what is God's will? And the only reason I'd be interested in that is because I believe He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is creator. He is judge of all. He's coming back. That's what I believe. It's not what I ought to believe. That is what I believe. My life should reflect that. In Mark 3 Jesus' mother and brothers came. They were concerned about him. He's got to teach him too much. We need to go get him. And so people told him, your mother and brothers are here. And Jesus said, "Who, who are my mother and brothers? Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. To Jesus, the will of God is what life is all about that's what he gave himself to and he said to Sheridan follow me what do i believe now two groups of people probably we've got unbelievers and we have believers if you're an unbeliever you're just trying to figure out what you believe if you don't know you're missing hey, amen I'm so glad you're here but you know that question is still put to you as well who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? C.S. Lewis would talk about the uh, alternatives. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's a legend. Or he's who he said he was. He's Lord. And if, you're, if you care to make a careful study, you'll see that the liar, the lunatic, and the legend make no common sense at all. Because people die for him, people gave their lives, were tortured because they believed he was who he said he was. And the early people saw him raised from the dead. So, someone that's a liar, a lunatic, or a legend, people don't die and suffer for something they know is false. They may be deluded, but for those people that saw him raised from the dead, those people saw it said that is God. You know what? They went through horrific facts. The only option that makes sense is that he is who he said he was. He is the Lord God. So if you're unbelieving, I, I pray, you know, I'd love to talk more. There is a great studies you can do to draw that out. But most of us in here, we're in the believers category. And so I want us to talk about why In this day and age, in this society, we find it so challenging to follow him. He's saying, Sheridan, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Do you really believe he's Lord? He's asking that of all of us. I'm a believer. Really? Do you really believe that? Are you seeking his will in all things, no matter what? You see, as we try to approach that, there are socializing forces that array against us. There are pressures from our society. Our society wants, they don't mind people calling themselves Christians. Just don't interfere with it. Don't let them. Far as, as they're concerned, and you know, rightly so, they don't believe, so how else would they think about it? I do not blame them for thinking that way, because if I didn't believe it either, I'd say, hey, whatever you want to believe. You know, don't bring it up to me, but go do your thing. So what happens when you're a believer, you say Jesus is Lord, but all of a sudden these pressures are on you to compromise, to not think about pursuing the will of God, but to somehow still remain a Christian? Yeah. Now, we got to see what these pressures are. We've got to see what we are being socialized to accept. If it's not Him as Lord, then you know what? One of the things we'll end up being is a user. I want you to look at Luke 17. There are three things, three pathways that our society, the world tries to push us toward when it comes to believing in Christ, where it comes to compromising his lordship. One way is to make us a user. In Luke 17. Luke 17. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Ten lepers, come to Jesus, they are healed. Hard for us to kind of relate to that these days, but you've got to understand the dreaded disease that leprosy was. You were consigned to an outcast until you died. Ten of them come, he heals them. Only one comes back. One comes back to give glory to God. You know why? The other nine were users. Jesus wasn't Lord. He was a means to an end. People use them. Sometimes people just want, I want to be accepted. I want to be part of a group. So Jesus becomes a means to an end. And that's friendship and acceptance. Some people want help with their marriage or help with their family. Jesus becomes a means to an end. I just want help. Some people have personal issues that are just... Cause him to come apart at the seams, you know? And so I just need some help. So they find some help and people want to help. And Jesus becomes a means to an end. Jesus is never a means to an end if he is the Lord Christ. He is the end. And everything else is a means to him. Everything in my life belongs to him. If he's the Christ. Now, if he's not the Christ, he's a really enlightened rabbi. Choose him. Reject him. Do whatever you want. But man, if he is the Christ. If you believe that you will not use him. You will not use him. You look to him God how can I be who you want me to be? What is your will? He's not there to get me out of a tough spot. He's there to make me into the creation I was intended to be. And that may require some tough spots. Mm -hmm. That may require my whole life coming upside down. And see, that's what society would like for you to do. you like like, oh, I hope Jesus gives you some good feelings. I hope maybe if you go to church, then if there is a day of judgment, hey, it'll work out. Just use them for that, an insurance policy. We were not created if you created, serve So there's one path. There's another path, and that's the pathway of the opportunist. Okay, it's so a little bit like the user. The user just always, you know, Jesus is a means to an end. I just want friendship. I'm not even going to think about following him. I just want this, this, this. And it's a continuum. The opportunist is they, they just kind of a little bit here, a little bit there. And it's like how something with Jesus can really benefit me. How can I gain an advantage? You know, one thing, there are a lot of times, first of all, let me just say this as this disclaimer. I hope all of you guys do business with each other. I just assume to keep the money in the kingdom, you know, do that. <laughs> but, you know, there have been times we've had to talk to individuals trying to come from outside, get into the church as a means of economic uh, enhancement. You know, look at all these people. They trust each other, and I can come in and do that. There were, there were opportunists. There were guys that come looking for girls. There are opportunists. There are other people that come for all these other they're opportunists. And the patron saint of the opportunists is in John 12. Have you ever noticed why no one, at least in Western civilization, names their son Judas? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of why you usually don't find people in Western civilization naming their daughter Jezebel, right? Maybe at one time, those were two wonderful names, but what's that? John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those at the table reclining. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet uh, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Isn't it? Yeah, she could have done this and helped a lot of people. But here's the issue. That was set by an opportunist, not by somebody trying to help the poor. Because What's the next thing that John says about it? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus was an opportunity for him to make money, to get money. In the world, we are encouraged to live for ourselves. We are encouraged to be kind of the center of the universe. So the way we approach things, and sometimes the way we approach Jesus, is let me find an opportunity. Maybe I can learn something to somehow give me a leg up. And all of a sudden it's all about me, my goals, my dreams, my passions and Jesus can be an opportunity to gain. The problem with opportunists is they have a price. They have a price. You know what's amazing is that Jesus said on the night he was betrayed that one of you will betray him. You know the most amazing thing about it? Nobody knew who it was. Judas was so good. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like everyone's was going, oh, Judas, we know who you're talking about. It's going to be this guy. No, no, no. The guy was so smooth. He faked him out. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about God's will. It wasn't about any of that. It was about money. maybe for us it's something else. But there is the thing that did it, and he had the price. He had the price. I love that movie, Saving Price, Ryan. I don't know if you, you saw that. Uh, if you didn't, I'm probably spoiled part of it, but it's your fault. It's been out for a while, okay? Um, in the movie, one of the climactic scenes, you know, Tom Hanks is there with his soldiers, and they're trying to protect this bridge, Just one bridge is left, and he doesn't want the enemy to get the bridge, you know, so that they send their tanks and everything over. So, they're trying to stop them in the village, but what Hank says, he goes, let me tell you what, if things, you know, we start losing this, he points to a building across the bridge, he goes, that's the Alamo. We go there, blow the bridge, okay, the Alamo. So, what did he mean by the Alamo? That's the place for which you do not compromise anymore. You do not give an inch. The Alamo is your last stand. It's where you cannot be compromised, moved, budged, budged, you know, budged, or whatever. That's the Alamo. Here's the question. What's the Alamo in your life? Is it Jesus or is it your job? Is it Jesus or your hobbies? Is it Jesus or your own dreams? What is the Alamo? Which, man, I'll compromise Jesus. Listen to this. 30 pieces of silver? That's a good haul, oh, man. That's a good paycheck. He did it. It came through. And no one names her son Judas. That's the latest. What is it? Let's have a little family time here. I've talked to some people about Midway. Myth- You know what? There are going to be times when things happen. Things happen, job, you can't do it. I understand that. I understand. Here's the thing. There are plenty of times when they could. They just didn't want to be.
1: Four years ago, I sat down with someone. They weren't
0: coming to me. Some people don't come to Sundays either. You know, every once in a while, and I, I don't know if they're thinking the cracker and the juice is gonna do something. I just want to ask them, what do you believe? Okay, what do you believe? But I talked to the individual. I said, man, I, I don't see you coming to midweek. What, why not? You know, what are you doing? They have these this little hobby and this little thing. They have a lot of things going on, TV, you name it. They said, you know, I just don't get that much out of it. I said, well, if it was only for you, you'd have a point. But it's not about you. It's about the person sitting next to you. It's about God Almighty. And maybe you're, you're, you you're got it together you've learned everything, but obviously you're not even in the same arena if you don't think about your brother or your sister in Christ. Being the body of Christ is not about... An opportunity for me to enhance myself and be self improving Being the body of Christ is about helping people do something the world cannot help you with. And that is become like Christ. That is to to have uh, sustenance from His Holy Spirit. That is to help one another and be God's community. Because one day in the new heavens and new earth, He's going to build a community. No one's going to be by themselves. It's all together. And if we don't learn it here, we're not going to learn it there. We have got to stop and think. What about it? You know what? You have to work. You don't have to have your job. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have to work. I don't have to have this job. Yeah. Someone else can do this job. If I'm holding on this job just for money, oh, man, am I in trouble? Mm-hmm. I've already sold out. Got my 30 pieces of silver. I'm out of here. Okay? That's all it is at that point. What happened to the body of Christ? I believe you're the Son of God, the Christ. So Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Jesus says, be my body. Help one another. Do I just neglect that? Do I blow it off? Do I say it's inconvenient? Do I say it doesn't work? Or do I say are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Opportunists. The last part is the throw scene. This is what our society really likes. You know, let me be, uh, let you know a little bit uh, about me. It's probably not a good thing. I love watching the Super Bowl. I don't like the halftime shows. (laughs) Okay? Now here's what? Here's what? I think half-time shows are awesome, entertainment things like that. I'm just too old, I think. I believe football ought to be about football. Let's go play football, you know? And let's do that. But all of a sudden it's a Hollywood thing. You know, you guys come to the, you know, the, the firecrackers and the here. It's like, good night, man. Just play the game. Have the concerts. I'll go to the concerts. I love some of the artists. I'll do that. But it's supposed to be football. That's my own opinion. All right. But you know why it works? Because we're all thrill seekers in America. We've got to be entertained. And when it comes to Christianity, are you entertained? (laughs) Have you sought your thrill? Have you got your thrill? Is it it exciting to you? (laughs) And Jesus says in Matthew 7, Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and perform many signs in your name? And I will say plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Jesus is not saying this because he likes to. Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be socialized to be a thrill seeker. You're you're going to be, sit there, you have got to be entertained. You have got to be, you know, inspired from everything else except for him. If I believe Jesus is Christ, the son of the living God, I'll do anything, go anywhere, be anything. matter what's happening around me for His glory. I don't need anything. He Himself will inspire me. The inspiration comes from Jesus Christ Himself. God brings something out of nothing. Mm
1: -hmm. Jesus will send me into places of despair
0: and He'll help me bring hope in the midst of despair. He'll send me into indifference and all of a sudden, I'll plant love that will come up. And he will put me right in the middle and surrounded by death. And I will rise up a fruit of faith. God always produces something out of nothing. But if I've gotten socialized I'm not really believing he's Christ, the son of God, then I'm looking for the throne. Please inspire me. John, inspire me, please. Would you do that or else I'm not going to do anything. And Logan, I need for you to be nice to me so I can do something. Ricky, come on, man. Don't let me down. I mean, all of a sudden it's like, what happened? What happened? What happened is we say, Lord. But we don't do the things, he says. This is not a rebuke message. This is a challenge message. This is us just being people of integrity, where God will look down and say, you know what? I know what Sheridan believes. He believes I'm the Christ, the Son of God. Did you see Sheridan fail there? Look what he did. He got up, he confessed it, and he repented and kept on going. He did not quit. That's what I came for. That's the point. Not that Sheridan would be so perfect and everything. But my goodness, he is trying to have his life back up what he really believes. And one thing's for sure, you will always tell if someone believes by being around their life. You will always. You can't hide that. Yeah. Judas hid it for a while. It became that. Yeah. We will always do. Who do you say he is? Who do you say? Today, I hope you'll take some time. And singers, you guys can start coming up here. I hope you'll take some time out. and just, Just go to the Father in prayer and just say, Father, show me what I believe. Maybe I've lived my life knowing what I ought to believe. Help me. And if you're at that point, don't despair. God brings hope out of despair. You'll be fine. All you have to do is open your heart to him. All you have to do is make that decision. You know what? I want to do your will. I believe you're God. I want to do your will. And you know what will happen? It'll take you along that path. But meanwhile, the world's going to be sitting there, going to want you to be a user, an opportunist, or a thrill seeker. And it's always going to be at your ear. Don't listen to that. Go to His Word. Be. Nick's going to our job. John's going to closing prayer and all God, thank you so much for uh, just challenging us. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to just challenge our lives. To just not, not accept a pat answer, but to really, really, uh, when he asks us, who do, who do we say he is, God? I just pray that we can really answer, not with the right answer, but the answer that we feel. And then work to get to the right answer and really feel that. God, I pray uh, you really work in our lives. Help us to be real about, about ourselves. Help us to get help from each other so that we can get closer to you and not further away. God, we love you and we pray this in the name of your son.